shoot uh, supersonics out of your 300 blackout? Yes. Okay. So you, so you just have it gassed for your heaviest round and you just deal with the overgassing of the supers? Yep. Pretty much I have it set to cycle with subs. And if it cycles yeah. with subs, it'll cycle with supers. It'll cycle only right. too well with supers. <laughs> yeah, that's the what I had a problem with was it like um the like uh the case deflector. Like uh, I looked at it last night after I shot it, it was like there was basic gold because of all the brass markings. The supers were just oh, coming yeah. out so hot they were just striking it. That's exactly how mine is. Um, the upper receiver is marred with brass. It's fine. That happens no matter oh, yeah. what, even yeah. with like five, five, six. So. Oh, really? I, I guess I'm just never. It was. I've, it's never been this bad. But yeah, mine's I, pretty I mean, when, like when you. Yeah, when you tune it for two twenties and you're shooting one tens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of. Um, Speaking of 300 blackout, uh, I guess, you know, we'll kick this off real quick. Just very brief housekeeping. Last week, we were supposed to have Carr uh, camp it on from TLE, and we did, and we tried out this new um, recording service that we had heard about from Carr because if you remember the prior week, we had some issues with Franklin, and we had even worse issues, unfortunately, when we recorded with Carr. And it was like pretty much unusable audio. Um, there were connection issues, microphone issues, timing issues, and it would have taken uh, probably days for me to edit it. And the conversation that was salvageable was probably like 20 minutes, if that. So um, rather than publish 20 minutes and you know deliver it five days late, we decided to throw up that throwback episode of episode four of our old podcast with the 300 blackout and 556 comparison it was heavily requested by the firearms community on twitter on twitter on twitter and uh we decided to throw it back up we were going to make it a patreon episode um but we don't have our patreon up yet and we figured that information has been free for so long, it would kind of be wrong to try and put it behind a paywall now, especially because it's so enjoyed. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much all the housekeeping for today um, that I know of. If you hear my chickens, it's because it's beautiful outside. It's like 52 degrees where I'm at, 60-something degrees where Rob's at. You know, he's on the ocean or the bay, and I'm kind of up in, like, the, the base of the mountains, so it's a little chillier. But it is absolutely way too pretty to uh, hold this weekly AA meeting inside on a Saturday morning. Agreed. Yeah. It's crazy how much the weather changes so fast in Virginia. Like – driving across the state like once you move a couple hours west it'll drop 10 degrees and then you go up into the blue ridge and it drops another 10 degrees so you can have like a 20 degree difference from a three-hour drive <laughs> yeah even just in the same location man. like you get it one day and you're like you can't go outside because you're sweating through your shirt and the next day it's like 50 degrees and you're like holy crap 
<laughs> That's like uh, you came to visit me up when I was living on the mountain. And you like came up in a short sleeve shirt. And when you stepped out of the truck, you're like, oh, my God, it's freezing up here. <laughs> that was funny. Like, yeah. Damn, it's cold up here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's a different world. But oh, yeah. uh, I love know, that, though. I do, too. Like, I absolutely, I just love the mountains. I'm not a big uh, beach or flatland person. I just, I don't know. I think you're one or the other. Some people are both. Like, my wife is a big beach and mountain person, but I could spend the rest of my life just walking through the mountains. Never bother me. Plus, I don't like sharks, so that kind of, there's no sharks in the mountains. (laughs) (laughs) I would hope not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The, the beach is cool, but it's it's almost not. It's almost getting old now, to be honest. Well, when you go every year for, as like a, a childhood trip, like I feel like most Virginians, at least some of the most of the people I know, they always go to the beach every summer. I don't know if it's a Virginia thing because we're on the coast. Like, I'm sure people in Oklahoma don't go to the beach every year. (laughs) But, you know, it's just like you go every year and it just kind of becomes the same thing. You do the touristy stuff. And, like, that's why I my family goes, but I don't go. I I either work. (laughs) I'd rather work than go to the beach. Um, I either work or uh, I, like, do my own little guy's trip. We go fishing in the mountains or, you know, down in the valley something like that so yeah i mean it's it's nice when you get down there but like the packing and the drive and my family goes or was going like really far um south in north carolina so it's like a almost a seven hour drive i'm just like this is ridiculous in virginia beach is like three hours from you yeah well well not probably not even but virginia beach is also a shithole so (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. Sorry for anyone who lives in Virginia Beach, but let's be honest. Yeah. Well, man, I kind of just wanted to talk about, and we can spitball it, like something I've been noticing lately. There's so many people that it almost seems like they haven't discovered their themselves. Um And I'm not sure you ever finish figuring out who you are, but the last two years, three years for me, I have completely changed as a person. And like, I've constantly been discovering who I am and what makes me happy and what I like to do, you know, professionally and in my free time. And when we started this podcast, this one in particular, we set out to help people find out who they are and show them ideas on who they or things they could become. And, you know, maybe that would help shape who they are and make them a happier, freer person. And this episode, we haven't really prepared at all for it, but it's been something that's on our minds pretty frequently. And I just kind of wanted to see if we can help even just one person figure out who they are. And like, for me, that all started like really three years ago when I was still in the fire department. Um, 
I was really happy when I first got in the fire department. And then as my tenure in the department grew and um, I just went in day in, day out, I became just a sad shell of who I used to be. And it was a really bad place mentally, physically. And I can't believe I left such a stable, well-paying job to, you know, essentially (laughs) um, build farms. And it's crazy, but it has made me infinitely happier. Less money. I work more days, but I work less hours. And I have just discovered, like, money really isn't everything. You know, that's not my driving factor. Some people it is, you know, some people are really driven by money. But for me, it was just the quality of my life has improved so much. And, uh, you know, you can you can speak on your take because we've walked similar but very different paths on leaving the fire service. Yeah, I, my, I've kind of had a similar experience in, like, in how much I've changed in the last two years. And, you know, my girlfriend and I talk about this all the time. She always, you know, talks about how much I've changed. And not even in, in a bad way for her. I'm obviously in a good way for me. I'm much happier now. But, um, yeah, it, it is pretty crazy. And, uh, you know, the fire service, again, was something that I had wanted to do for a long time. And, uh, you know, I worked extremely hard to get there. And, uh it didn't take nearly as long for me as it did for you to kind of just, you know, realize how stressful the job was, how much of my time it took. Um, and that really, like, I just wasn't happy doing it. Um, and I, I have since left as well. And, and I don't regret it at all. I still haven't found, uh, my next job. I mean, obviously, you know, in previous episodes, we talked about moving to Tennessee in the next year. So I'm not looking for anything. I'm looking for a career right now, but you know, the fact that, you know, I don't have an income at the moment doesn't stress me out at all because I'm, I'm so happy being more free and being away from the fire department that I'm just like kind of going with the flow right now. Yeah. And you know, um, I can't remember once you do two separate podcasts, they kind of blur together, but You know, I always said if I had two lives, I'd live one on the straight and narrow like my grandfather wanted me to. I would have, um, you know, got my government job. And originally, I didn't want to work for the fire department. I actually wanted to work for the CIA um, because my grandfather did many decades for the agency. And, you know, seeing how great of a man he is really inspired me and I wanted to be just like him. And then I, as I got older, I realized I had to walk my own path and but anyway, um, if I had one life or if I had two lives, the first one, I would have lived it exactly how he did, done everything right um, and gotten a retirement, you know, continued on to other professional um, engagements of whatever caliber, or whatever I wanted. And then if I had the second life, I would do everything opposite and I would, you know, live as a nomad, <laughs> basically go with the flow. It's like, oh, you know, uh I don't need a full-time job because I don't have a house. I live in a van or I live in a storage unit. Like the guy who records the music for our band, he lived in a storage unit that was climate controlled that he also ran his uh, recording studio out of. So it was like a one room studio 
with a sound isolation box, which is where like you will see people like do vocals and whatnot. And they got the spit filter, pop filter. And uh, on top of that was a bed (laughs) and he just had like a bed and a ladder. So he would sleep in there and like shower at a gym or like a YMCA of some kind. And like, he just lives there. It would be interesting to live a second life where you can like take all those, all the risks you ever want to take in your life, just have one life free to take all those risks and then another life <laughs> of like security. But, but yeah, man, like yeah, you tried to tell me how much of my time, you know, the fire department was taken up. And when I first got there, I started working a bunch of overtime and it just, I've <laughs> since realized like, you know, we work, yes, we work a 24 hour shift and then we're off, but those off days, man, like they're really not off days. You know, I, I eventually came around to the mentality of like, okay, I'm not going to take a nap because I don't want to like lose my time off. And, and it's just the stress of the job and everything that, that was involved with it. Just you, it, their days off weren't days off and you ended up working or, you know, at least not being home, but not home not actually home uh, more often than not. And it's like, I don't want to work, oh, you know, my twenties and thirties away just so that I can have, you know, security later on. I just want to enjoy life, you know, go, you know, get a job where you can go to, go to work, you know, produce something and then go home and not have to worry about right. getting held and all that other shit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to make it all about the fire department, but I will say, you and I walked the same path. I just walked it a couple years ahead of you. Get hired, all in, total buy-in, going to classes, you know, hard charging, wanted to be a good fireman, um, worked a bunch of overtime. Somebody told me you'd get burned out, or not you, that, but that I would get burned out. And then years later, I told you that you would get burned out because I did get burned out. And, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a bad job. It's a great job, but you have to be a very specific person and you have to have a very uh, specific lifestyle for it. And as does your family. Um, The people that I saw that were very happy in the fire department and very successful too um, were totally in. They, they told, they had total buy-in. Um, they had the PF tags, the stickers on their truck. Um, you know, their family was like my husband, my wife, whatever. My son is a fireman, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not for me. I, I needed a separation of, eventually I needed a separation of what I did and who I am. You know, a lot of people that love the fire department um, naturally associate their profession with their identity. And, you know, that's happiness because I, I truly believe happiness comes from within each of us. It's an internal choice. It's not this uh, external force necessarily. And no one's going to put happiness in you. You have to be able to look at yourself and figure out who you really are and determine what will make or what does make you happy. Um, you know, it could be a starting a small little market or corner store, or, you know, uh, rum, running a lumber mill, um, starting a company 
an instructing company, shooting, medical classes maybe. It doesn't matter. It could be anything, but it comes from within you. And um, I just wasn't happy. And it was taking too much time away from the things that did make me happy. Uh, My chickens. I love my chickens. Um, I I love the garden. I love being home and doing home improvement projects. I like building things with my hands. And if you're one of those people, you have to understand that the, the job that we left with the fire department, we're, we, we aren't construction, we're not builders. Like there is no production with your hands necessarily. And I think that may have been a big reason why I was so unhappy. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm, uh, I'm kind of the same way. You know, it's just, I, you know, I'll never forget the good times I had, you know, in the fire service, but it, like, as, despite how hard I worked, it just, it just didn't make me happy. And it was, it wasn't the easiest decision to leave. Um, but I don't regret it, you know, because I, I'm, I'm much more happier now. And, you know, my, my home life is better. Just my overall quality of life has significantly improved. So, you know, and, and even before I got into the fire service, I was always, a, you know, a big proponent of do what makes you happy. Like, you know, I watched my dad towards the end of his working career, you know, making a very, very good salary. Um, but he was fucking miserable, man. He he would come home just angry. He, he basically, like, was so disgruntled that he couldn't separate work. For, like, coming home was no longer, like, a, a break from him. He was just disgruntled all the time and, like, counting down the days to retirement. And I told myself, I was like, I don't want that to be me. Uh, like, I want to be happy you know, with what I'm doing and, you know, not be so stressed and angry because, you know, down a few years after he retired, he had a heart attack. So, and it was because, yeah, it was because of stress. You know, there was a lot of other, you know, stress besides work, but I think work was the main stressor in his life for a long time. So, and the fire service was supposed to be the thing that made me happy and it wasn't. And it's, like I said, it's, I don't regret it because, you know, I'm going out and doing what makes me happy. So, you know, whatever that is for, for you, for I, for everyone out, you know, listening is like, I think it's even, I think it's just really important to, to do that and, you know, focus on, you should always focus on long-term, but don't let it dictate you so much that, you know, you lose the time you have now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, I knew a girl and I would say it was about five years ago, six years ago. Um, I knew this girl, she was a nurse and her dad had been a professor at a university for like an ungodly amount of time. Like it's like decades. Um, and I think he was 60, almost 70 years old when he finally retired. And he always had this goal that he was going to retire and move to the beach and live in Florida. So finally, he retired. He hung it up. He went to Florida. And when they were moving in, he had a heart attack. Um, Or no, I'm sorry, he didn't have a heart attack. Um, He had some sort of medical emergency, though. And they rushed him to the hospital. And they found out he had cancer, started treatment, and uh, ended up dying 
like a, a short number of weeks later. I think it was like three weeks later. And he never even made it to the beach. Like all that work, all that time put in and never, never. He made it to Florida, um, but he never made it to the beach. And stories like that, they, they put things in perspective. Like tomorrow is not a guarantee. And that combined with the fact that I knew I had to leave. I didn't know. I didn't, I knew that I wouldn't go from the job I was working to my ultimate goal one day after the other. It wasn't going to be a 24 hour turnaround, but I did know that leaving was the first step in the journey. And so I found this new job building agricultural equestrian fences. Essentially, you know, we build farms and ranches and uh, horse properties for people. Um, and essentially they're the money and everyone in our company is just a bunch of country boys, farmers, ranchers. Um, and we're kind of the brains of animals and that has made me extremely happy. You know, I, I go to work and we build, in my opinion, the best looking, best functioning fences in Virginia for cattle, horses, goats, sheep, whatever. Um, and every day I look at what I've done and I'm like, damn, that's going to be there for 40, 50 years easily. And it's going to look just as good in 30, 40 years as it is right now. Um, but it will not make me happy forever. My end goal is not to just work for somebody else and, um, you know, do that until I can't do it anymore. I love my boss and I'm going to work for him, you know, as long as I can and I'll work hard and I'll build the business. And, you know, he, re he rewards me for my hard work and, you know, the steps that I've taken in the company to, um, kind of help things become more productive. But the end goal for me is not to build fences. Um, the end goal for me is farming. And I knew I wouldn't leave the fire department and then the next day go out and have my farm and just start farming. You know, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So I decided, you know, we'll take this job building fences and we'll learn all about different animals. You know, we'll learn how to install fences and uh, waterers and how to care for livestock. And I have, um, you know, it's been a very traditional farming um, setup. Like the places we build are very uh, old school farming and a lot of mismanagement. And, you know, anyone who knows me knows I love Joel Salatin and so seeing the traditional way of farming and Joel Salatin's way of farming um, has kind of let me see both sides of the problem in the way that different uh, parties solve that problem. And now it's like, okay, this was the step I needed. Let's start moving towards the, the final goal. And, uh, you know, everything's just kind of fallen into place, but 
I guess what I'm trying to say is like, don't expect things to happen overnight. Like you, I don't think you can, I think that's an unreasonable expectation. And sometimes like in your scenario, we don't know what the next step after leaving is. We just have to trust like, if you're a hardworking individual and you have good work, work ethic. And um, I think that right there is enough that you will be fine. Like you right now you're unemployed, but I don't worry about you. I'm not like, Oh man, I'm worried about Rob. He's going to starve to death. Like he, Oh my God, like poor Rob. <laughs> I'm like, no, like he'll figure it out. You know, he, he's a hard worker. He's a smart dude. Like, you could have had a job by now easily. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm, I've always been, you know, a planner, but, you know, and, and I tried to have something lined up. It fell through is what it is. So is life. Um, but I always knew it. Well, I should say it never discouraged me from leaving because I knew that was the first step. And that if I, if I'd never left, I would never be able to experience, you know, not being there. Um, and, you know, you can't start the journey until you take that first step. So that was what ultimately helped me leave. And, and even though I, I don't know, you know, I have a very, I have to have a short-term plan and a long-term plan because, you know, with the move, but even though I don't know short-term what exactly I'm going to do, you know, I'm not, I'm not stressing over it, you know. Um, taking it one day at a time and whatever, you know, it will fall in line at some point. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, it was, it was a big step for me to, to actually leave and, and start the journey. And I, I've, I'm already better off for it. So. Yeah. And, you know, something I noticed was when I worked for the fire department and we had that schedule, it was one day on one day off three times and then four days off. Um, being off six out of nine days is a lot of time off, but you also spend a lot of money. Like, maybe it was just me, but on my off days, it always seemed like I was spending more money. Not, not like frivolously necessarily, but there's things, when you have that much free time, um, and you've actually gotten a good night's rest, which almost never happened. You always wanted to do something. Like I always wanted to do something around the house. I always wanted to essentially, like I was always building fences, getting more animals, taking care of animals, uh, expanding whatever I was doing, putting more garden space in. Like I was always doing something. And um, when I left, I took a pay cut and oddly enough, it makes no sense. My pay went down. My savings went up. Like I cut my expenditure to almost nothing. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that when I was there, I put all these systems in place that prepared me for this. Like I eat everything. Like my dinner every day for like the last, I don't even know how many weeks, every single piece of that dinner has come off the property with the exception of the beef that, you know, I buy a whole cow. So like that was it though. Like that helped me immensely. And um, now it's like, we have us, we have 
some money in savings and it looks like there's a big key factor that we've been waiting on and it looks like it's a it's about to come through and um that's the only thing stopping us from moving to tennessee and now it's like wow it, it's coming it's coming to to fruition and you know i'm like just so excited i don't even know how to put it in words like this is just the first time i feel like i uh I've really found out who I am and found out what I want to do. And, you know, most people, when they look at you and they're like, wow, you were a fireman, like you had a government position, you know, a very stable career and you quote unquote threw it all away to go build fences. And now you're going to throw that away to go raise chickens and hogs. And I'm like, just sitting there smiling, like, yeah, yep, sure I am. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing what you've done in terms of, you know, cost savings. And I think there is definitely something to the, you know, work not being off so much. You know, all the projects you, you, you take on when you're on your days off, they add up to quite a bit of money because I've kind of witnessed the same thing. Like, I don't, you know, I've been just cutting back and, you know, I don't, I've been doing more projects just around the house, but not having to go spend money on it. And it's like, Oh shit. You know, I was spending a lot more than I thought I was. Yeah. And the the other thing, yeah, my ultimate goal is go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, the, the end goal is, is the self sustainability, you know, (laughs) my garden obviously never got as big as yours, but one day I hope to have something like that where, you know, all of my food is also, you know, from the property. Well, really, all yeah. the ultimate goal is all of it does come from the property, including the beef, but that's probably a little ways down the road. Yeah, and I mean, that's my goal as well. Not this property. I can't do right. it. I've yeah. been sitting here racking my brain on how to raise two or three hogs on this property, and I think I might actually do it. I, really, oh, I think you could raise hogs. I think I could do it. Um, I know I could do it. I know I can do it. It's just, once again, like, man, once you, maybe it's just me, but when I buy livestock, it's, it's not just, oh, there's food. That is food. Okay. Raise it, kill it. Blah. No, like I bond with my animals. I love my animals. Like I, uh, I got a premier one electric mobile fence yesterday. Finally, I've been looking at them for a long time. I finally got a couple sections and, um, I let the chickens out and now I'm like rotationally grazing them and I'm, I can see them from here and you can probably hear them, but like, they are so happy. They're just going through the woods, scratching, living their best chicken lives. And, you know, I've in the past when I harvest my chicken, it's almost somber. Like it's this very interesting feeling of taking the life of something you love so much. Um, and it's this respect that it's giving its life to feed you. And um, anyway, uh, yeah, like that is me. That is, I have figured it out. Like that is who I am and what I want to do. And ever since I left, it's funny, I've discovered that I make income, like money for income in so many other ways that I didn't in the past. My woodworking, is still doing fairly well right now the shop is down until i move but 
you know, I've been making uh, good returns on woodworking. The uh, Agris Waxworks products, they're doing really well. Um, and recently, this is crazy as it sounds, um, one of my coworkers was looking for chicken feed, organic, non-GMO, from a local farmer, but didn't want to drive as far as I drive. So essentially, I cut a deal with him that I'm marking up the feed that I'm buying and selling it again to I'm buying it from the farmer and selling it to him. And it's still almost um, as inex- inexpensive as going to like a, a feed store like Southern States or Tractor Supply. And it's like every little thing I'm doing is just adding up. And it's like, you know, I mean, even today, it's a Saturday and I'm going to go make money playing guitar for three hours. Like there's so many ways you can make a living just by investing in yourself and or nourishing the skills that you already have. Like everyone has skills. Monetize them. You know, if you're, if you're really good at something, do it and try and make money. Just try and make $1. And if you can make $1, try and make more. And you don't have to have this big scale operation. Like you can start really small. Like if you're a woodworker and you don't have a bunch of equipment, make birdhouses, make, um, you know, uh, carpenter bee traps, make, um, little decorations or wooden signs, like start out and then you can build once you get some momentum. Um, but the, the thing is you, as far as finding yourself, I think it takes deep reflection. It takes a lot of, you have to step away from your current situation. I did. I had to step away from the fire department and really look hard at myself um, and really try to figure out who I was. And uh, once you do, though, I mean, it's just a level of happiness that I can't explain, you know, not being trapped in the same job and uh, man, it's just, it's something. Yeah. I think it takes, it does take kind of stepping away from or, you know, not necessarily step leaving a situation, but kind of like, you know, backing away from it and looking at the bigger picture. I think it's also, sometimes it's just experiences you have that kind of leads you to, to one thing. And then that's, that opens you up to a whole bunch of other stuff. And that's kind of when you realize like what makes you happy, I think for me, it was definitely, you know, it was, it was a little bit of both. Um, but like the, the, the experience I've, I've had over the last two years is what has led me to the, you know, the farming, the gardening, all the stuff that I want to get into down the road. And, you know, that did take physically stepping away from the situation um, and leaving my job. But everything is now focused on, you know, being able to, move to, you know, someone that's going to make me happy so that I can do the things I love. And, you know, the money will, you know, will, will come like, you, you know, it, I'll, I'll figure it out as I go. I'm not too worried about it. Um, but what I am really focused on is, is, you know, making sure, you know, my girlfriend and I are on the same page and, and what we want to do and, and figuring out how I can accomplish that within the, with the resources I have. And then, you know, build from there. You know, 
I, I, my, our plan is to move to Tennessee and, you know, get as much as we can off the bat and then just start building, start with the farming, you know, garden, move to animals. And then, you know, it'll take time, but, you know, the hard work will pay off. And at some point, I'll, you know, have it all working as one. And um, as far as the money, like I, said, I, I think, you know, owning your own business is definitely a, an advantage. If you have a skill that you can monetize, I agree. You should absolutely do that. Even if it's on the side, even if you're doing something that you, you actually enjoy for work, do it on the side, you know, if it doesn't take too much time, I mean, woodworking, you know, if you only have two days a week to, you know, do woodworking, but if it's, you know, something that doesn't take all your time away, you know, and you enjoy doing it, monetize it. No, I, I completely agree. And that's part of the reason my woodworking has died off so much um, is because I get two days off at a seven instead of six days off at a nine. Now I will say I don't regret it. I like this schedule a lot better. Six thirty to three is awesome. I'm home by three thirty, four o'clock. Um, and I use all the time I can in the day. And instead of, um, you know, being gone for a full 24 hours, I get home and I now have three, four hours to get work done and I can get a lot done in that. Um, but with the woodworking in particular, it's very time consuming if you're doing big projects. Like I used to do a lot of dining room. Well, I didn't do a lot, but I did a lot of big projects like dining room tables, um, kitchenette furniture. Uh, I did some bedroom stuff. Um, I got to do some really cool stuff when I had the time. But now that I don't have the time, I've it's scalable. So it's okay, I don't have quite as much time. There's still a demand for my product. It's just now it's lock picking props. Jeez, man, like, Lord have mercy, I cannot keep up with the lock picking props. I just can't. I can't physically keep up. Um, and they're not overly hard to build. Um, but now I've got people in Canada that want them. I've got people down in North Carolina. Um, there's a guy who I've become friends with, really cool dude. He wants more and more. And then people from our old department now are wanting me to, like, I just sold one to an old coworker um, who's teaching lock picking. And it's just like, I can't keep up. So yeah, I'm not building big kitchen furniture, um, but there's a market for everything if you, well, I wouldn't say there's a market for everything, but <laughs> you know, uh. there's a, there's a market that you can fill a void in somewhere. Um, <clears throat> the biggest problem that I had with the whole move to Tennessee was it's just so stressful. I was like, okay, we're going to move. I'm not going to have a job. Um, I'm going to have to find a job. And given on where I want to live, it's not exactly a bustling economy. It's not a metropolis. It's not like I'm moving to Nashville. <clears throat> And I was talking to my mom, actually, and uh, my mom was like, I don't understand why you're looking for a job. You're moving for a job. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm moving because I want my own farmstead. I'm moving because I want to raise pasture poultry and I want to raise rotationally grazed hogs and then grow produce on the land that 
I have used nature to prepare. And she's like, Cody, that is your job. And I was like, oh. And she said, you know, if you do it right, you can market now or market before you go. And then when you actually start, you have a clientele. So let's say I uh, have, um, let's just take pastured poultry. There's startup costs involved. I'd have to build the chicken tractors, all this, that, and the other. Instead of going in debt, take a down payment from people that want it, use that down payment to establish the run, and then make your profit on the back end. And it's not a perfect model. It's still risky, you know, moving to a new area and trying to establish yourself within a community that you have never been a part of. Um, But luckily, you know, community isn't geographical anymore. It's all over the place. My community is international. So Uh, everything, anything that's worth, you know, that has true value uh, carries risk. So, yeah, you know, every decision you make has pros and cons, has, you know, risks and rewards. It's just about, you know, it gets back to, like we said, what makes you happy. Um, and like, I, you know, if you're, it's, it's something that motivates you and you're excited about it, like you'll make it work. You'll find ways to make it work. Yeah. yeah and I mean, I truly believe happiness comes from within. You can pull happiness out of any situation with the right mindset. You know, some people would live my life and they're like, man, like I'm miserable. I work out in, you know, the hot summer days and the the cold winter. I'm out there in the elements and I'm digging holes and I'm, you know, moving heavy things and, you know, I'm miserable. Me, I'm just happy to be outside. I'm happy that I'm outside on a beautiful landscape. I can see the mountains every day. And, uh, you know, it's not my farm, but I've seen so many people, uh, you know, we don't tell them how to build the fence. We offer suggestions. And I would say uh, four out of five times, no one freaking listens. <clears throat> so, um, a lot of times we suggest something and then they're like, no, I want to do it this way. And we all just kind of look at each other and we, we don't say anything, but we all know like you're doing this wrong. You're going to destroy your land. You know, um, all your animals are going to congregate in this one area. They're going to turn it into a mud hole. You're going to have way too many problems with manure. Um, your animals are going to be overcrowded. I mean, it could be all sorts of things. Um, and, you know, people don't listen, even the basic stuff, like which side to put the boards on, like nobody actually does it the right way. They just want it to be the prettiest way. And so, you know, seeing all these people do things the way they've done them. And then we go back for more work and we see exactly what we predicted coming to fruition. And it's like, yeah, how not to do it. That can teach you a lot. (laughs) Yeah. You can definitely learn a lot in life by, watching people do other things and learning what not to do as opposed to what, you know, one way to do something. Yeah. So if you don't mind me asking, what's the professional goal for you and your girlfriend? Like, I know your personal goal, get to Tennessee, 
get away from that income tax, um, establish your farmstead. Like, as I understand it, you, you kind of want a farmstead to be providing for you and yours, not necessarily as a business, but I could be wrong. I mean, what are your goals? Like, have you thought about like, what is going to make you happy? Is does any of it come from what, how you make money or is it just what you do on the side and whatever you do for money is what you do and you just separate the two. Yeah. So the, the, the biggest difference in, in our paths moving forward is I, I don't really plan to, to make a business out of my farmstead. My farmstead is more about being self-sufficient and providing for my family. Um, as far as professional, um, I would like to get into a trade, um, you know, to work and develop that skill and turn it to my own business one day um, because I, I feel like I've, my life up until this point has prepared me pretty well for that with, you know, the business degree and everything. I, I can feel, I feel like I can run a successful business. No, and it doesn't really matter what it is or what skill I choose, as long as I have some skill I can provide and, and, and kind of build it to where, you know, down the line, I'm ready to, to not work anymore. I can still have it and, and run the business and not necessarily have to be out on the front line working all day. I can take time off and all that stuff. Um, and then I'd like to also get into like, like you do now and, and make money different ways, you know, something more on a hobby level that I can either a product I can sell or a service I can provide that I do kind of on the side. So that's how, like where I plan to get the money from. And then the farm says kind of like another, I get, I wouldn't call it a hobby because it's, it's more, it's more, I'm more motivated than the hobby level. Like I wanted to, to meet certain uh, requirements for me. Like I want to get, you know, my food, all my produce off it. Um, but I, I don't, I think you're definitely more like better qualified to, to make a business out of that than I am. This, that's just, like I said, it's kind of where we differ, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the the plan for that. Well, I mean, you already know this, but I am a huge proponent of trade work. Um, you know, I'm good friends with Jay Flintlock from Flintlock Faction, and he was doing roofing. Didn't like roofing. Cool. It's not for everyone. Went and applied for a job as an electrician. A job. I mean, I used to do roofing. For a very short time, I did roofing. It wasn't for me either. Trust me. I did electrical work. Um, that's not quite as bad. You know, that's a good trade, um, always in high demand. Um, I mean, let me put it to you like this. Um, unless your roof is leaking, if it's in rough shape, roofing is not most people's priority. It's a, uh, it's one of those things like insurance will take care of it a lot if you have a damaged roof from like a big hailstorm or something. But a, 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 a roofing job is thousands and thousands of dollars, you know. Um, and it's not exactly a priority. However, if all of a sudden uh, a 30-year house no longer has working electricity, that's a priority to most people, you know? Oh yeah. (laughs) The other thing I would say is roofing is not as intimidating to most people. 
you know, they can get on YouTube and they're like, okay, so I put down this moisture barrier and I have these nails and then the shingles go in this orientation. Okay. I can do this. This isn't that hard. Like there's a little bit to it, but I can figure it out. When you take it away, the ability for people to see what's going on and you can't see electricity, you know, short of uh, it being converted into light um, or motion, another form of energy, um, electrical energy is not always as apparent. Like you can't look at a wire most of the time and be like, is it hot or not? I don't know. Well, that scares a lot of people. And so electricians are, in my experience, always in high demand. And, you know, they're not ripping people off, but they charge a lot because their time is worth something. No different than any other trade. And I'm not saying it's unfair. I'm actually saying the opposite. I think it's justified to charge a lot because there's a lot of time that goes into um, becoming qualified and good and mastering trades like a master electrician like my dad you know you're getting what you pay for most of the time he can figure out what's wrong just by people describing it and you know he's like oh you got a loose neutral and somewhere in the line and they're like what is that and he's like don't worry about it like he'll fix it <laughs> you know but i am a huge proponent of trades and something i haven't talked about is the schedule with trades um you can go work in a hospital or, um, you know, you could pull security or do something like that. And it's like, okay, well, your schedule is never truly set. Like you may be three to 11, you may be seven to three, uh, you may have to do rotating weekends. Trade work is one of the few professions left where it's like, you go to work, you finish eight hours or 10, you do it four or five days, and then you're off every weekend. Sure, there's exceptions, but most companies, they don't want to pay overtime. They don't want to work on weekends. They want to be off too. Like the foreman doesn't want to be there at six o'clock on a Friday night still working. You know, there are benefits to the trade world that other professional, there goes Rudy, um, but anyway, there, there are per other professions that, um, or I'm sorry, that profession is unlike others where, you know, it's more often than not uh, a, a very predictable schedule. And because of that, you can focus on the things that actually matter, which is not work. It's your personal time. And you can focus yes. on the things that matter most, your family, uh, your loved ones the uh, establishment of your homestead, if that's what you into, if that's what you're into, the establishment of your side hustle. And the last point I'll make about trades is it's one of the only professions, um, I'm grouping them all together here, where you can go from the low man to the boss almost overnight. You can go work as an electrical, uh, as an electrician for a contractor and, you know, you stay there and you learn and it's like, okay, uh, I've got five years experience. I'm a journeyman. Um, that doesn't happen overnight, but there's journeyman electricians all around the country. The only thing that, uh, qualifies you to own a business is whether you're a journeyman or a master. And the only thing that, you need to do to become a master is pass the test. Once you're a journeyman today, 
you get your certification tomorrow you could walk in and take the master exam and if you pass you can be an electrical contractor and you're working for yourself well what's yeah, another I've actually job been you can do that that's true that's a good point i've actually been not- leaning towards electrical recently and it's it's kind of like for that for that reason you know like it's it's so easy to foresee a path where I can turn that into my own business and, and, you know, get the experience and then, you know, make it work for me and, and start putting it, you know, but, you know, working for myself, you know, owning the business or running a business. And it just gives you so much more flexibility uh, to, in your life to, to focus on your personal stuff. Yeah. And, you know, once again, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't have to happen overnight. It could, it could. Um, if you have the capital resources, you could absolutely make it happen overnight. But most um, electricians that I knew, if you've got a freaking pickup truck in your own tools, you can make money doing electrical work in the residential field because there's no conduit to bend. There's no specialty equipment. It's Romex wires, clines, like lineman pliers, um, some screwdrivers, and access to Lowe's and you can make money. That's really what you need. Um, if you have just the basic hand, cause also electrical work, people don't realize there's very few power tools in electrical work. Like every now and again, you'll need a hammer drill to get through some concrete, but unless you're doing some sort of, uh, basement work or foundation work in a house, not much concrete that you're going to find. So like, I mean, everything is done by hand. Wires pulled by hand, conduit, which isn't in houses, is pulled, is bent by hand, installed by hand. Everything, um, when I did it, was still cut with a hacksaw by hand. Like, we didn't have um, any kind of power equipment or anything like that. It's just very low initial startup, except time. Like all it takes is time, knowledge, and a couple basic hand tools that you probably have lying around your house right now. Um, I just, I just love trades, man. Even with I, with what I do, like I look at some of the fences my friends built, and I'm like, oh dear God, Lord help you. <laughs> like that is that is rough <laughs> with, two, with two F's, rough. Um. <laughs> But, I'll come over here and look at mine then. <laughs> yeah. But it's not rough, but I'm sure I didn't do something the right way. <laughs> yeah. I just I love trades. Um I I just encourage everyone to give it a try. It's it's a dying um it's a dying way to make money, unfortunately. And it's looked down upon by many still, but trades built everything that you i mean they built our houses they built roads um you know all the infrastructure came from trades and there were a lot of smart engineers that did this and did that but i can tell you most carpenters don't need an engineer to tell you if a house is going to stand up or not like you've been doing it for 20 freaking years like I i think you're qualified to tell me if a house is sturdy yeah but yeah and you know you said something um you said 
I'm not sure I'm as qualified as you or something along those lines or passionate to make farming a business. Well, three weeks ago, I was saying farmstead. You know, I wanted to move to Tennessee and start a farmstead. I'm dropping that. No, I don't want a farmstead. I want a freaking farm. Like, I want the ability to sell all of my produce and meat directly to the consumer. And that is what I want to do for a living. Because I thought that where I'm at now would be plenty and to make me happy. But like I said, happiness comes from within. So like I am happy, but I was like, you know, I'm essentially working two jobs right now still. Well, I'm working like seven, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll focus on this one for a minute. Like I go to work, I come home, I build my own fence. I've got a freaking gorgeous fence going up around my property right now. I take care of the chickens. I can rotate them now, um, move them through the woods. I'm like, got this whole, I, I've got this whole plan over the next couple of weeks to like gradually move them to the, the summer garden, which is now dying off. And the grass is like two and a half feet tall. And I'm just going to let them decimate everything, you know, not turn it into the moon, but till it up, scratch everything, shit over everything. <laughs> and then I'll plant red clover, put a bunch of nitrogen back on top of what the chickens already released. And next year it should be absolutely incredible. And then I'll do the same thing with the front garden. But um, <clears throat> there is a way to farm with little to no um, capital investment. Um, you know, a couple hundred bucks and you can raise uh, 70 chickens you know, build a chicken track and some land. You got to have some land, I guess, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, that's um, the hardest part <laughs> or deep bedding. You know, you could do it that way too. But I just see, um, that now moving forward, I don't want to have a town job. I don't want to move to Tennessee and it's like, okay, well now I'm going to go back to electrical work because that's always, that's always been my fallback plan, which is another good point about trades. You can go back any freaking time you want to. There's no yep. political bullshit. I mean, shit, my dad worked for the same electrical contractor, I think, four different times. And they kept <laughs> hiring him back because he was just really good at his job. You know, they hired him. He quit because of the bullshit. Went to work for somewhere else. A couple years later, would come back. And eventually got to the point where he was making, you know, well over $30 an hour. And he just ran the crew on the site. It's like he's the foreman. He still has hand tools, but he, his, his job is to manage the job, not to actually climb ladders all day. And then he's like, man, I'm making someone else rich. Why am I making someone else rich? Why don't I make myself rich? And boom, his own electrical company. And now he works as much or as little as he wants. And he just hired two guys. And he's like, now they're going to make me rich. I'm not doing this anymore. And it's essentially exactly yeah. what, what you wanted to do, you know? Yep. So Yeah, that's uh, that's that's basically the outline of, of my plans is, is exactly <laughs> that. Yeah. And I just personally, I don't want to go back to that. I uh I don't know. I think I'm the most antisocial social person I know. <laughs> um like That's I hate accurate. traffic. 
I hate stop signs. I really hate stoplights, which sounds ridiculous. Just I'm sure some of our listeners like you hate stop signs. It's like, you got to understand where I live, they're there, but nobody is around. Like I mostly just kind of like do a double check and I'm like, yeah, I'm rolling through this. Like, like it's whatever stoplights congestion. I hate that. We weren't meant to live that way. In my opinion, we were meant to live the way like right now I'm watching my chickens bathe in the sunshine, make dust baths. And it's like beautiful to me. I love that. Um, they're happy and they're providing food for me and mine. And it's costing me next to nothing. They're digging around looking for bugs. And all I have to do is stop things from eating them and killing them. <laughs> Seems like a fair trade-off. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like everyone has to break the mold. If you're not happy, you got to step back consider leaving your job like just i'm not saying just go quit now um you know you have to evaluate your situation determine if it's if it's even feasible um i think you'll find that it is especially if you go back and listen to the first episode we did um i think if you listen to that you can figure out that it's feasible to quit any job all you have to do is change your lifestyle And, uh, you know, some people would call it downgrading. Um, Don't listen to them. You know, they're still stuck in the system. They go to work. They get their money. Well, they get two-thirds of their money. And then they spend their money and get taxed five extra percent on top of that. And then if you try to, you know, go anywhere, you got to buy a car, which you're taxed on. And then you're tax to insure it, tax to inspect it, tax to register it, and then you're taxed on the gas that you put in it, and then you pay a personal property tax on the home you own. And it's like, yeah, that's the life I want to live. You know, that's exactly how I want to live, just as tax cattle. No. (laughs) Why would I listen to them? Why would I listen to conventional knowledge when it's built this system? Yeah, that's the... Kind of the cherry on top, isn't it? You know, it's like we, you know, everyone who complains all day about, you know, you know, this policy or the government did this, and you know, all they do is live and contribute to the system. They live within and contribute to the system. It's like you gotta, you know, if it bothers if it bothers you that much, unplug from it. You know, figure out ways to to step back and not just go with the flow. Yep. You gotta, you gotta break that gold ball and chain that, that, that chain that they put on you. Well, really you put it on yourself because no one can put it on you. Um, to an extent you have to put it on yourself, but we're told that that's the way that we have to do things. So most of us, including myself have done that. And then it's like, you know what? I think there's a better way to live. And I'm going to find out for myself if I'm right. And uh, once, you, once you do that, I think you can really figure out what it is. You can find your happiness there. Like, it's, I, I don't know everything about happiness, but I can tell you this. It doesn't come from money. It doesn't come from a big house or a new truck. Um, it doesn't come from fancy furnishings. It doesn't come from material items. 
happiness comes from within. It truly comes from within yourself. And it's almost impossible to truly find it until you shed your worldly possessions. Um, once you set yourself free of that, you open up the possibility of finding it inside of you. And I think as hippie as that sounds, I think there's a lot of truth in it. At least that's what I've discovered. <laughs> yeah, I think on a, on a bigger scale, it's, it's more about separating yourself so that you can truly find what's happy. I think a lot of people, you know, the traditional method of, you know, get a job, work hard, make money, buy a house, have all these nice things. That's, it's almost, it's a societal thing that we do. It's, it's, you know, it's, you got to have the next best thing. You got to have this, this, and this. And, and as long as you're, you know, confined to that box, let's say like it's, you're always going to be, you know, wanting to spend more money on things you don't need. You know, everyone has valuable stuff to them. Like, you, you know, you don't really need to get rid of everything. Cause I, I think we're probably, you know, on one end of, you know, the extreme of that, but like, you don't have to like get rid of everything. You just have to be able to separate, you know, what truly makes you happy from, from what society is telling you will make you happy in that moment. Cause that changes all the time too. And I think that's, you know, not enough people step back and, and kind of get out of that mindset to truly find what makes them happy. So they're always searching for it, which exactly. now, nowadays just means more money spent. Exactly. More money, more debt, less freedom. Yep. And yep. I mean, you nailed it. That's perfect. That's what I mean when I say it comes from within, like yep. you think you'll find it in all these nice things, but you won't. I promise you, if you don't have those things right now and you're listening, I promise you, if you're not happy, it's not because you don't have a new truck or a new car or a big house. That's not why you're unhappy. That's um, all temporary happiness. Yeah. I mean, man, I, I just live so differently um, than how I used to. I used to be that guy. And now it's like, people would come to my homestead and they'd be like, Oh, this is nice ish. But I mean, that looks like you've got scrap lumber that you use for your chickens. And it, that's a kind of a raggedy looking temporary fence. And I'm like, yeah, that's because it, it, the, the price was right. And it, it's, it's function, you know, it's functional. It doesn't have to be pretty. I have no one to impress. Um, the, you know, <laughs> The job I'm working on right now is a multi-million dollar horse trading operation. They are legit. They trade horses all around the country. Um, I guess most of their business is out in California. <clears throat> and uh, you know what? I'll post some pictures of the barn in their riding arena on Instagram right after I publish this. But multi-million dollars. I mean, you will know what I'm talking about when you see it. And... Uh, some people would look at that and be like, wow, look at all that fancy riding equipment and that barn is gorgeous. And it is, but that won't make you happy. They don't look, they look less happy than everyone that I work with. And we're working to build their fence. 
and they look down upon us. They come up on their horses and talk down to us, won't get off the horse. And it's like, you think you're so high and mighty, but really like, I feel sorry for you because you don't understand that all these things you have really mean nothing. Like, I'm sure they're happy about their horses, but I mean, my wife's grandmother had a horse for like 20 years in a couple acre um, pasture and got just as much enjoyment out of that horse. You know, she didn't have to spend millions of dollars to impress and trade. And I don't know. I just feel bad for them because seeing how they interact with each other and customers, it's like, uh, it raises the question if they're actually happy or if they're just doing it because that's what society in the horse trade kind of dictates. I'm no, I'm sure it's what the horse trade dictates. I haven't heard about that. Yeah. So happiness comes from the little things. And if you can pull it out of, if you can pull it out of anything, um, it'll serve you well in life, you know, whether it's leaving your job and finding something that you don't hate. And that's just the first step. And then you find something that sets you on fire. Like, I guess that's what it all comes down to, man. You got to find something that lights a fire under your ass. Like you got to find something that fires you up that you're passionate about. And like, I finally found mine. Like I, I have had many encounters with things that, brought me joy. I love working with wood. Um, I love making every piece of like a puzzle piece and putting it together and solving the puzzle and making something that is both uh, structurally and aesthetically um, superior to what Ikea sells. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not my passion. That's my hobby. And I monetized my hobby. Um, but I found my passion and once I found it, it's like, I can't be stopped almost. Like, I feel like even if I tried to suppress it, I couldn't because I just want it. And it, it brings so much to my life that, um, you almost have to do it. And once you find that, I think everything else kind of falls into place. Like if you're that passionate about something, you're going to find a way to scale it to your needs, whether it's a big or a small operation, um, big business, small business, it doesn't matter. Um, You'll find a way. You can either find a way or you'll find an excuse. And that's really what it comes down to is like, you know, if you, if you want it bad enough, you'll find a way. If you don't want it, uh, if you don't truly want it, you'll just make excuses for why you can't do it because of this thing in your life or this situation or this amount of money or I need this. And I mean, I'm dealing with the same thing. People are like, well, you can't sell chicken because it's not USDA, USDA and this, that, that. I don't fucking care. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> like, that's the thing. It's like so many people get caught up in legalities too. And it's like, uh, just, just do it anyway. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, if you're, uh, let, if you're letting legality stop you, then you're not there yet. <laughs> to be honest. 
Yeah, like, I don't know. In my opinion, that's just my opinion. I mean, some people would disagree, but I'm like, what sounds better to you, Rob? A chicken that I raise on grass and through the woods that gets non-GMO feed, eats bugs, eats grass, scratches, bays in the dust, lives a free life, a happy life, or a chicken raised among you know, thousands of other chickens standing in shit, getting antibiotics because the living conditions are so poor that they can't keep them healthy. They give them growth hormones to make them bigger and fatter and grow faster. And then they subsidize it with government money to make it affordable. I mean, even if I'm, yeah, if I'm butchering this chicken on my back deck, I would venture to say that chicken is, more sanitary than uh, what you're going to get from the grocery store, which is 10% chicken fecal matter soup, by the way. So like I said, I found what lit a fire under me and I don't want to get started and like drag this on forever, but you know, there's a market and the only other advice I'd say, and it took me a while to do this, is know what your time is worth if you're going to do something on your own, like entrepreneurial. Um, there was a time when I started my woodworking, I undersold everything. And by undersold, I mean like way undersold, probably 40% of what it should have cost a customer um, was what I was selling it for because I didn't value my time. Value your time, know your worth, and... Um, if it's, I'll put it to you this way. I'd rather do nothing for nothing than something for nothing. If that makes sense. Like why go out and build all this furniture just to essentially give it away when I could do nothing and make the same amount of money. Yeah. The the logic is easy to follow. (laughs) Yeah. But well, Regardless of your situation or where you are or who you are, I hope that you found one nugget of truth in this episode. Um, I, I truly just want people to f- figure out how to live a better life. Like that is really the only reason we started this podcast is the world is just not the way that I feel it should be. And I see some people changing their lives and I I hope that it's a movement that catches on and that people go back to living how we were meant to live in, you know, small community-based um, economics and happily. I just want everyone to be free and happy. And so hopefully you found one nugget in this that you can take away Um if you did, leave us a review on iTunes. Um, that that helps a lot. Helps get the podcast out. And you know, since we're starting from scratch, uh, that's pretty important. Share it. You know, follow us on Twitter at Agorist Pod or on Instagram at Appalachian Agorist. I've kind of been more active on Instagram. Or follow us on Instagram at Appalachian Agorist. Um, I've been more active there just because Twitter's become very. Uh, unenjoyable (laughs) Um, is there anything else you wanted to add man yeah i guess i'll just say like to top it all off you know just figure out what makes you happy 
and, and not what society is telling you should make you happy. I think if you're a rational person, more freedom should start making you happy. Uh, that's kind of what we're a lot of what we're getting at is, is how to be more free. So that's a place to start. That'll at least allow you to kind of step back and identify what makes you happy. Um, and then, you know, don't be afraid to, if you're passionate about something, don't be afraid to, to go after it. It'll, if it's, if you're truly passionate about it, it'll be worth your time. Yep. And I totally agree. Look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself like the hard questions. Like you don't think they're hard, but really when you get down to them, they're some of the hardest questions to answer. Who are you and what do you want? What do you want to do? All legalities, capital aside, it doesn't matter. All that matters is you know who you are and what you want to do. And once you figure that out, you can figure out a way to make it happen if you're motivated enough. So. Agreed. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, you got our plugs. You know how to find us. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, as always, till next time.